0: Good afternoon, uh, Peter. Nice to see you again. You too, Gerard. Uh, yeah. Um, we can't go on meeting like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, our topic today is uh, resolving tax disputes in the High Court, which I think is a fairly topical, mm-hmm. no pun intended. And to me, the uh, I think I'll kick off and talk about some of the history in the background, and then you can be at the cutting edge and, and keep us right up to date Peter. Um, I think to me, the logical starting point is the Metcash case, which was decided in, in November in the year 2000. And the issue in that case was whether the, what even the court referred to as the pay now, argue later rule um, was constitutionally valid. And it looked at three provisions of the VAT Act, but exactly the same reasoning would apply to the Income Tax Act. Um, And the matter had already gone to the um, high court in Johannesburg and the judge there um, found in favor of Metcash and found that the provisions were constitutionally invalid because they deprived the taxpayer of access to the courts, the matter then um, the Constitution provides that w- where a High Court makes a finding like that, it has to be ratified, uh, confirmed by the Constitutional Court. So the matter went direct to the Constitutional Court, and all 11 judges sat. Um, and I'd look at the judgment recently, and it's nice to see the old names there. And uh, the judgment was given by Judge Krichler, and it was a unanimous judgment. Of the Constitutional Court, which we all know is the highest court in the land, um, and what judge the, the Constitutional Court held that it that it was not constitutionally invalid, so they declined to confirm the finding of the High Court in Johannesburg, which meant that the provisions were not unconstitutional. And the point made um, by Judge Kruger—it's a very long judgment—and uh, I think i've only studied it properly fairly recently you know, I've, I've read parts of it many times over, over the last 20 years but um it's only recently that i really sat down and read the thing from start to finish and um judge quickly made the point that none of the impugned provisions actually uh, stopped the taxpayers from going to court because that was the provision the provision of the constitution under which it was attacked was that it, it, um, it took away from the taxpayer's constitutional right to have disputes resolved in a court of law. Um, and it was, it was suggested that, that the relevant provisions of the VAT Act and by the same token, it could be the income tax act as well, um, took away from that because SARS can just file a certificate with the clerk of the court or the registrar of the high court And that has the effect of a judgment and the correctness of that judgment cannot be questioned. Um, And the crickler made the point that, that yes, that may be so, but but it goes through the courts. So far from depriving the taxpayer um, of access to a court, it is a court process. But the point that he made very strongly was that the taxpayers has plenty of rights to, to approach the high court for relief um, and also, the, the prohibition on, on uh, you know, the Pay Now Argue later was just what was prohibited was an automatic suspension. But the taxpayer can request and always could request SARS um, to suspend the obligation, as it can now under Section 164 of the Tax Administration Act, and. Um, So it was only an automation that was barred by that provision. Uh, so the taxpayer was always able to request SARS to suspend the obligation. And if SARS said no, the taxpayer was always able to take that decision on review to the High Court. And then, and then I won't cite chapter and verse, but Judge krichter cited a lot of um, situations in which taxpayers can approach the High Court for relief. And he said it's been accepted uh, for a long time, and he cited many cases. Um, one or two of which in, <laughs> actually appeared in myself um, where, where the courts have accepted that they have a right not where there's a dispute of fact because then that's more appropriate to to, to the to the tax court but where it's purely a principle of law involved the, the, the high court and previously the supreme court um, will entertain appeals like that and, and make its pronouncements um, so that came through very strongly and and judge critical Emphasised the taxpayers' rights of access to the courts in all sorts of different situations, both before and after an assessment has been issued, and um, and and that access to the High Court um, was one of the reasons why the relevant provisions were not seen as being unconstitutional, because the taxpayers' rights to go to the High Court were largely still intact, and. So, and the source could be requested to to suspend the obligation to pay and if they refuse that decision could be taken on review to the high court so there's plenty of access to the high court. Um, What's interesting is that uh, since then, the the relevant provisions have been put in the um, tax administration act so since the Metcash case the tax administration act is new. And um, currently. Now, this was introduced in, I think, 2015. Um, section 105 of the Tax Administration Act says that disputes must be resolved under this chapter, which I think is chapter nine of the, of the Tax Administration Act, but it's the chapter dealing with access to the tax court. So it's basically saying you must go to the tax court, but it says unless a high court otherwise decides, or uh, high court consents which obviously means that it is possible to go to the high court um i'll leave it for you peter to comment on that because that aspect was commented on in, in, in the APSA case um but but there are two decisions um of the supreme court of appeal since 2015 um where taxpayers have gone to the high court and the matter then went on appeal to the Supreme Court of Appeal. And, and the Supreme Court of Appeal held that that was perfectly justified. The High Court did have, and I thought I would just read um, just two short passages from the, from the judgments. The first is Commissioner for the South African Revenue Service versus Langholm Farm um, and Judge Saldulka in the Supreme Court of Appeal Said the following. Now, the taxpayer had submitted an a, a, a income tax return and, as is always the case, got, got an computer generated assessment. Um, and then SARS had done an audit and SARS asked for certain information pursuant to the audit. And uh, Langham Farms, the taxpayer, then approached the High Court. For for an order which it obtained, which unfortunately didn't, from the taxpayer's point of view, didn't survive the Supreme Court of Appeal, but the Supreme Court of Appeal upheld its right to go to the High Court, and this is what Judge Soldoeka said. He says here, it is true that Langholm could have waited and provided SARS with the documents it required for a revised assessment, and then challenged such an assessment and argued the point of law at that stage. And presumably that challenge would take place in the the tax court. The issue is whether it was obliged to do so. In my view, there was nothing objectionable in Langholm seeking clarity on an issue of statutory interpretation that would clearly influence the outcome of SARS's audit. If the court accepted Langholm's view of the proper interpretation of section 75 of the act, Sars would have had to return to the audit and reassess its position in the light of any further information and debate with Langham. There was little point in Langham entering into a debate or providing further information when none of it would have been at all relevant given Sars's legal view. That is exactly the situation for which declaratory orders are made and seeking one in the context of a taxing statute was endorsed by the Constitutional Court in Metcash. Right, Um, the second case is uh, that of SARS versus the United Manganese of Kalahari Company. And in that case, Judge Wallace, Wallace J.A. of the Supreme Court of Appeal, who incidentally was the taxpayers' counsel in um, the Metcash case, he said the following. Uh, In its opposing affidavit, in argument before the High Court, and in its heads of argument in this court, SARS argued that UMKs, that's the taxpayers' application, was premature as the audit process had not yet been finalized. It contended that UMK should have awaited the outcome of that process and then pursued its internal remedies under the Tax Administration Act by way of objection and appeal against any assessment with which it did not agree. Alternatively, it contended that it was inappropriate for UKM to seek relief by way of a declaratory order. However, after the party's attention was drawn to a recent judgment of this court, that judgment was Langham on farms, dealing with a similar argument, we were informed that SARS no longer persisted with these points and would confine its arguments to the legal issue raised by UMK, concerning the proper interpretation of the relevant provisions of the Royalty Act. So, again, the direct access to the, to the High Court was, was approved by the Supreme Court of Appeal. And so, both before and after the introduction of the Tax Administration Act, including Section 105, which says you must go through this, the tax court procedure unless the High Court consents. The Supreme Court of Appeal has approved um, the use of, of access to the, to the High Court. Um, even while SARS is busy with an audit now there's a there's a recent case which Peter is better qualified to comment on than just about anybody I know and uh, so I'm going to t- hand over to him and that's the ABSA case which thanks, uh, thanks, Karen. I- I- interesting thing about the ABSA judgment is as I read the actual judgment and mm. it, the judge who is Judge uh, Sutherland,
1: Sutherland.
0: Mm. Um, uh, who was in my class at university, by the way, um, uh, says that it's not reportable. <laughs> you know, it's certainly, it's already been reported in the South African law reports and it soon will be in the taxpayer. Um, but I must say, and I can see why he said that, it's a fairly rough and ready mm-hmm. sort of judgment, but I, but I actually really enjoyed it. All the more that. I hope that It's
1: very well-reasoned and logical and well-written and I think just a really excellent judgment, I think. And, you know, and, and quite sort of groundbreaking as well. It's, it's good that you remind us what happened in Metcash all those years ago, 21 years ago, because I think one gets caught up in the sort of sense that once you're on the, the road to um, the tax court, you can't move off it. And as you're On the N1, you forget that there's an R300 and you can go across to the N2. Yes. So I think it's I think one forgets that. And you very much get very caught up in the sort of sense that if you're on the way to the tax court, then there's no getting off that road. And this judgment certainly showed that that wasn't the case. So just the, the facts here, um, ABSA invested in some preference shares issued by a third-party issuer. The third-party issuer then took the subscription proceeds from the preference shares and invested in some fairly complex kind of cross-border transactions. Um, and uh, as I say, there's quite a lot of movement in respect of of those proceeds after they left ABSA's hands. ABSA had nothing to do with that. ABSA simply invested in the preference shares and what happened with the money after that had nothing to do with them. They weren't involved in that in the subsequent transactions. SARS then did a forensic audit and pieced together all the transactions from ABSA all the way to the last use of the funds by this third-party group and sent a section 80 J notice to ABSA Basically, saying that ABSA must give reasons why the anti avoidance provision shouldn't apply to it in relation to this transaction as a whole. And ABSA basically said, well, you know, we just invested in preference shares. We've got nothing to do with these other complicated transactions that SARS seems to have an issue with. So they wrote to uh, SARS and asked SARS to withdraw the Section 80 Gen Notice. And they did that in terms of Section 9 of the Tax Administration Act and SARS refused to withdraw the Section 80J notice. SEPSA so started review proceedings, it started preparing to go to the High Court to require SARS to withdraw the Section 80J notice. And SARS, in the meantime, carried on with its process, and it actually issued assessments. So SEPSA so found itself not just with the Section 80J notice, but with actual assessments in terms of Section 80B of the, of the Income Tax Act. So APSA said, okay, we'll review both decisions, the decision not to withdraw the Section 80J notice, and also we're going to review the letters of assessment and, and require or request the High Court to withdraw those letters of assessment. One of the interesting questions is whether APSA sort of brought its application under Promotion of the Administrative Justice Act or under the principle of legality. So PUDJR, Promotion of Administrative Justice Act, requires an administrative action. So it was quite interesting because when APSA started off, the Section 80J notice it thought probably wasn't an administrative action. It was just a letter from SARS asking ABSA to respond. So the assessments themselves were certainly administrative action, but EBSA decided to go under principle of legality as opposed to paja and uh, the court agreed with that which is interesting, because I think if you're going to the High Court, you need to think whether you're going to go a principle of legality or pudger. And the pros and cons of each, uh, pudger brings with it, um, it's a statute, so you have to comply with the terms of the statute. And one of the points in pudger is that you must not have internal remedies. So that's a bit of a hurdle that you have to overcome. And Sars so sort of latches onto that and says, oh, but you have internal remedies, you, you, you can go to the tax court, that's your internal remedy. So, you know, it's probably slightly easier to go principle of legality, although I don't think that's an insuperable hurdle under paja. So, um, Trevor, you mentioned in order to approach the High Court, you have to, it has to be a pure point of law. You can't go on points of fact. And I said, hang on, we want to go to the tax court because we want to cross-examine witnesses and we want to have a chance to you know, understand ABSA's case and look at their witnesses and test them under cross-examination. And the court kind of said, well, you've already set out the facts, Sars, so you, you purport to understand all the facts, and you've written to ABSA and you say, these are the facts, and, and you've relied on them. So why do you now want to question facts that you say that you have a full understanding of, um, essentially? So, you know, and, and the court was persuaded that the points of law were pure points of law and not, and, and not fact. Um, and, you know, Sutherland's got a, a lovely way of writing. He sort of said, why should you go through what he called a protracted slog to the tax court when you can approach the high court? And that happens all the time. And the protracted slog to the high court, he's talking about Trevor's on there. I mean, it takes, wow well, from your first sort of letter from SARS until you get into the tax court can take, what, three, four years, you know, maybe maybe even longer. So it's a, it's a long old process. And um, so APSA ABSA then went on with the argument and said there, there were two errors in law that they were um, reviewing or that they wanted to review. Firstly, APSA said that it wasn't a party to a transaction as required for Section 80 to apply and that went back to my first point that ABSA said we just invested in preference shares issued to us by a third party issuer. What they did with the funds, that, that was the transaction that SARS had an issue with. And we ABSA were not a party to that transaction. We just issued in pre- we just subscribed for preference shares, got preference share dividends. That's that's it. We weren't a party to this complicated transaction that you SARS have pieced together and told us about. And so they said we're not a party to a transaction. Then secondly, they said uh, that they didn't receive a tax benefit. And that's quite interesting because it's now a little bit more law driven just on what a tax benefit is. And, and uh, Joe Sutherland sort of accepted that you know, it requires, it's a back four tests and it requires an anticipated tax liability. And the court is persuaded that ABSA didn't step aside from any anticipated tax liability. All it did was uh, subscribe for preference shares and get a dividend. And that's not sidestepping an anticipated tax liability. It didn't have any anticipation of tax. It invested in in something and got a tax exempt return. So there's a little bit more law on tax benefit. So the court was persuaded that on both, that there were two areas of law and granted the order. So the the Section 80J notices were withdrawn and the assessments were withdrawn. And the matter is going on appeal. So it's um, going... Um, I don't know when that's going to be, but it's definitely going on appeal. I think there's too much at stake for SARS not to take it on appeal. But, you know, I think, as I say, the judgment was good to me. It seemed sound and, and repeated a lot of principle, Trevor, that you reminded us of that we've had in our law for a long time and, and partly just, in a way, forgotten about, to be honest. And, and so we see a lot of clients now coming up with reviews. And we've now got a few reviews running, you know, where you get an assessment and there's a point of law, and, and it's a problematic point of law. And you think, why should we spend four years getting in front of a tax court? Let's go to the high court and let's let's have this reviewed. So it's become, as you say, very very topical. Um, so yeah, interesting times.
0: You know, just just listening to your your uh, your discussion of, of the ABSA case, saying that that SARS wanted to get into court and cross-examine witnesses and all of that, um, I. I, I was involved in a matter, and I'm not going to mention any names because it's still still in progress, in the in the tax court. Um, but there were there were, um, two uh, interlocutory applications, and th- those were heard. And I was for the taxpayer, and we we brought an interlocutory application saying that the duty to begin in a GAR assessment, which is what the ABSA thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the duty to begin is on SARS, and uh, SARS opposed that, and uh, a very long judgment, of, of Judge Judge Indira, um, found in our favour on that. Now, of course, that's that's the decision of the tax court, so it's not binding. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think I think SARS hopes to embellish its case by the taxpayer must start call witnesses, and then they can try and cross examine facts out of. They you know, use the cross-examination process to elicit facts in their favour, but but when they have to begin mm. and you know, produce their own evidence and rely on what they've written in the section 80J notice, then then it's you know it's a horse of a very different colour. Mm, <laughs> mm, mm. so that that's a quite a powerful thing. If you know, not, I think that decision is correct. Mm. If, you look, if you look at the. Um, it ties in with the burden of proof and, and the court in Carnage accepted that, that that the burden of proof um, is on SARS under, under, under the guard provision. And if that's the case then why should the taxpayers be settled with, with having to start when it doesn't bear the onus of proof. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've got here and can I just read something that that Judge Sutherland said in the Opsa case
1: in mm-hmm. relation
0: to section 105 which which I thought was, was very good. Um, he, he quotes section 105 and says that, that the court can direct that it, that it can go to the high court. And then he said the following, he said, a court plainly has a discretion to approve a deviation from what might fairly be called the default rate. So going to the tax court is the mm. default, default
1: Yeah.
0: As much as the section is couched in terms which imply that permission needs to be procured to do so, There is no sound reason why such approval cannot be sought simultaneously in the proceedings, seeking a review where an appropriate case is made up. It was common cause that such appropriate circumstances should be labeled exceptional circumstances. So you have the default rule and then exceptional circumstances. The court would require a justification to depart from the usual procedure. And this by definition would be exceptional. However, and this is the point However, the quality of exceptionality need not be exotic or rare or bizarre. Rather, it need simply be properly construed circumstances which sensibly justify an alternative route. When a dispute is entirely about a point of law, that attribute, in my view, would satisfy exceptionality. And that that I think is a marvelous decision.
1: Beautifully question. And it makes complete sense.
0: Yeah, so if what Salduka was saying in, in, in the um, Ungholm case, if it, if it makes perfectly good sense to go to the court to get a definitive view on a point of law, that, that satisfies the exceptionality mm-hmm. test. I think that's, that, that's a very good decision.
1: That's all you want. I think just important points here that the review proceedings do not stop the tax court process. I think that's important. So when you start launching your review and it takes time to get in front of the, the high court, that doesn't automatically state proceedings in relation to the tax court. So you need to be very careful about that. So, for example, if you haven't submitted your objection, so if you get an assessment and you haven't objected, you've got 30 business days to object. And so you either need to object or you need to get SARS to say there are exceptional circumstances, which in terms of Section 104.5 of the Tax Administration Act, they can do And they can then basically give an extension for your objection until after the review has been heard which makes sense but in our experience that's not always given by SARS so you either end up taking SARS to court in respect of the decision not to grant an uh, an extension in respect of your objection or you do the objection but you must do the objection under protest because otherwise SARS can say but look at these guys they're following their internal remedies so they, yeah. you know, by their own admission, are, are filing the tax court group. So, why are they coming to you, High Court? So, I think they're just, you know, just important to kind of not lose sight of the tax court process in one's excitement to, yeah. to win in the High Court in respect yeah. of your yeah. review. And, yeah. um, you know, and also suspension of payments, another thing, you know, the tax management guys are going to come knocking on your door and, and you can't hold up your, you know, filing of your. You know review process and say but we're going to the high court because again it doesn't stay proceedings in respect of the suspension of payment so there you have to as you said trevor section 164 apply for suspension of payment and and you've got to run that as a parallel process so when you go to the on review you end up running a few parallel processes and um, your objection process unless you get an extension or a stay from sars your suspension of payment and your review so you need to keep your your eye on three balls yeah. Yes. Some of our rugby players managed to do quite successfully in, in, in recent matches. But um, you know, you can't don't lose sight of the tax court process as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So all the bases have to be covered. Yeah. You know. mm. I think so. I think so. But it's but, but, but it's an amazing if you like shortcut, you know, if you can get the high court on kind a of point of law say so that the let's say the assessment was was incorrect. It gets withdrawn, and instead of waiting four years to get in front of a tax court, that's the end of the matter. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, and it's the binding
0: decision. Whereas decisions of the tax court that's are not binding; it. they bind the that's parties true. in that dispute, but not not on other courts. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's that's true, eh? and and I think that's 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 you know it's completely sensible, but it's also it's quite exciting for clients to have this to have this opportunity, if you like, or to be reminded that they've always had this opportunity since at least Metcalf. So. Um, you know, and, and then, as I say, not to get carried away and think that every decision is reviewable because <laughs> sometimes assessments, you might not agree with them, but there might not be a point of law that's, that's, that's wrong. It must be an error in law. It mustn't just be that, you know, there's a different the size of a different view to, to the taxpayer, it needs to be an error in law. Um, so uh, to sum up, I, th- I think it's, you know, having
0: looked at Medcash again, uh, you know, when, one might have thought, well, it didn't go in the taxpayers' favor, you know, speaking speaking in general terms, mm-hmm. because it endorsed the "pay now mm-hmm. principle. But actually, I think it was a correct decision and it and it went mm-hmm. very much in the taxpayers' favor in that he, he, he hammered the point that taxpayers do have access to the high court. Mm-hmm. Um and and as as Sutherland also said in his judgment, you know, none. he said it, it. this was argued by, by Absis Council. We know who that was. Um, but the, the question is not whether uh, the Act is, is saying you must go the tax court route because you have to get the permission of the High Court to to, uh, to go that route. The, the correct question to ask is, is the High Court's jurisdiction ousted or excluded? And the answer is no, it's not and that's sufficient <laughs> so taxpayers are within their rights to go to the high court in appropriate circumstances and of course it's not something one does lightly um, but, uh, but it's nice to have those remedies available
1: it's very nice and it is actually a fairly easy process trevor in a sense you know compared to your discovery etc in relation to going to the tax court that is a protracted slug it's a good description you know, as opposed to, uh, you know, your finding affidavit and, 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 you know, drafting up the necessary papers to, to do the review. You know, I think it's, 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 it is a much quicker, much more simple, much more cost-effective way of approaching the courts. And I think, you know, taxpayers should in every case see whether there is this remedy applicable in circumstances where SARS has made a decision, which is typically around a, an assessment, I guess. So, you know, not, certainly not to forget about that.
0: And you know there, there's, this is perhaps a topic for another day, but uh, in that case that I mentioned earlier that I was involved in, there was another dispute, and the taxpayer we relied on on the judgments of Desai and Rogers uh, mm-hmm. in the Cap Tax Court, where the point was made that if if SARS has exercised its powers under the GAR in a particular way, and that that this is all under the old section 103 that that um, the exercise of that discretion is the assessment. They can't then come and change it, you know, half right near the end of the trial and sub- suddenly say that, no, they, that wasn't the arrangement. There's a different arrangement. Um, and, and in the Rogers case, he said, you can't change it in your pleadings. So you stuck with it. And I, I think there's an aspect to, to the Sutherland judgment, which, and, and sorry, in our case, Dita said that that was wrong because it was the, act has been amended but i think in the sutherland judgment there's a there's i haven't got it at my fingertips right now but but it actually confirms that confirms mm. that rogers decide so there's an interesting angle to
1: that as well yeah very interesting yeah. so yeah lots of yeah. food for thought indeed <laughs> well Please nice care. to chat
0: again yeah as always eh? until the next yeah. time until next time nice to see you Peter. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.